This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Buonasera. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are doing some discussion about everything you need to know, or, well, at least several things that you probably ought to know before running a session zero to introduce your Changeling game to players. Mm-hmm. More than even a lot of our other episodes, this is definitely our takes on running Changeling. I mean, there's definitely, I think, going to be useful advice for everybody here, but if we're describing a kind of game that's not the kind of game you like running, that's okay. Your games mm-hmm. are valid, too. But we're going for the games we like to run. So Probably every storyteller has their own take on this topic, so... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and there's two, there's two pieces. There's, like, useful advice for achieving certain goals, which could be things, but then there's also, like, how do you... What do you actually want your changeling game to be? And I think some yeah. of that could be different just from what i've seen people saying on the discord before about the types of chronicles they run and in general some of this might not apply some of this might hopefully some of hopefully a lot of this will though yeah and overall it's less about how to design a chronicle and more about once you've already designed it how do you kick it off yeah so yeah i guess we should get started with before the beginning yeah the pro prologue pre-prologue or whatever yeah There was a discussion on Discord the other day about sort of elevator pitches for Changeling. And and I have had occasion to actually give a lot of elevator pitches because often when I tell people, oh yeah, I co-host a podcast and they ask, what's it about? And I say, Changeling the Dreaming. They say, what's Mm -hmm. that? So (laughs) yeah. So I don't know. Do you have a pitch that you give like a a 10 (sighs) second and a 30 second? I used to be... Uh, I can't remember how I put it. I had it written down even. This was especially for the LARP back in the day. Yeah. It was like, you play the diminished gods and fairies and monsters of folklore who feed on human creativity and mm. you're trapped in mortal bodies. Something like that. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that hits the key points at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about you? The short one that I give, the one sentence version is, you're a fairy in a human body trying to keep the spark of creativity and imagination alive in an unforgiving world, which Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sums it up. And then if that hooks people and they want to know a little bit more, then you were born from and shaped by myths and legends from one corner of the world or another. As magic faded from the world, you started incarnating into human flesh to protect yourself. Your face side lies dormant at the start of each lifetime. Eventually, you awaken to your true nature and have to balance your face self with your human self for as long as possible while you try to nurture and harvest wonder in others. Mm-hmm. And then if that hooks them even further, then I hand them an actual document and tell them to read. Okay. I don't get to the document. I don't have one of those. Well, not like a core book. <laughs> yeah. No. No. And that's, oh, that is a thing. Handing someone the C20. I had one player once in C20. He comes from a different tradition of role-playing games from the very, like indie story game type thing mm-hmm. he's yeah, like well yeah. i gotta read the book to understand how to play this game i'm like oh no no and then he noped out after that point well it could have been worse so at least it wasn't mage uh, c20 was plenty too big for him anyway as it was yeah. and i'm like you can ignore the appendices but still a lot <laughs> well in in light of our 
episode a few episodes ago about sort of the initial um, material for second edition, including the quick start, I had actually totally forgotten there even was a quick start for second edition. Mm -hmm. And I had initially been thinking for when we were talking about this episode, there's been a trend, I would say, of introducing quick starts more and more. I feel like games didn't used to come with them, you know, Mm -hmm. and now they almost seem standard, which I think I like. Eventually we'll get to the C21, but just as a general question that I want to pose to you, what would be in your ideal quick start document, whether it's for Changeling or any other role-playing game? Are we talking like a full role-playing game quick start or like a... Yeah, like if you wanted to introduce System X to somebody and there was a quick start available, what would you want that quick start to have in it? I'd want it to be a lasers and feelings hack of banality and glamour. Oh, okay. And <laughs> um, I'd want to like completely have a very one-shot focused very from the story game tradition or stuff like that like a one-page rpg style system that plays and maybe even more than one that plays for a very specific type of one shot that's a good intro to changeling Mm. yeah i suppose that's uh an idealized one i mean i I can't imagine that the publishers themselves would put out here's how to hack our rule system (laughs) but i mean that's what it was for for um the quick start it's still simplified rules and stuff that's true and i wouldn't have things like experience points it would be one of these games it's like this is great for one shot yeah yeah, a specific type there is so much in changeling you just can't do in it in the game yeah Yeah, from my part i think that what i not care least about but what i think needs to take up the least space are the meta plot and then kind of the rules i mean like you said the simplification that's in the c21 That's kind of indicative. I think that it should be clear what type of dice and how many of them you'll be needing and Mm -hmm. how that's represented on the character sheet. And and World of Darkness games are advantageous in that they are pretty streamlined in terms of like that aspect. Uh, I don't know. I'd argue World of Darkness is actually like crunchy and medium crunch. Well, but fundamentally, almost everything boils down to trait, usually plus another trait, D10s aim for this number or higher and that's like the mechanic you don't need to worry yeah. about saving throws or like, you know, yeah but that's whatever. still a pretty uh, that's a pretty complicated mechanic as a base mechanic well compared to like D's base mechanic of roll a d20 and add it to a number well that's their mechanic now <laughs> yes i meant net modern dnd not uh, okay pre not too e and earlier regardless but, uh, i think it's the part that is probably the least important yeah and then I would want more space dedicated to, you know, for Changeling, the different kits and what they represent. And then some of like probably mm-hmm. arts and realms, like the magical powers and whatnot. But I think actually what I'd expect the most space to be dedicated to is sort of the non-meta plotty setting stuff. So I'd want a thorough description of the SG and Seely versus Unseely, the themes and moods of the game, and then obviously the metaphysics of things like the dreaming and chimerical reality. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably have the largest section beyond what the heck chimerical reality is. Yeah. That's, I don't think C20 or any other core book or any other changeling book has enough about that. Mm-hmm. And if you're writing a one-shot of changeling, unless it's like purely in the dreaming, you need to know this. Like there's just things not in there that... Yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, if your goal is to run a one-shot with the expectation that players will then want to do a full chronicle, 
you need to establish enough of that groundwork that they get what's going on and then can yeah. build off of that for the future. Exactly. But fundamentally, any document, whether it's a quick start or something else that you give to a player to get them interested in the game, should really just answer the question, why do I want to play this game instead of a different one? And answer that question yeah. in a, a way that has as little fat on it as possible. So. Well, this, this also gets into another thing I've found with players. If I'm running, say, if I have five players in my changeling game, one or two, if I handed them the something the size of the C20 quick start, would actually like read it. Mm. And this is just like any time I've run a game. That's like that ratio, roughly. Yeah. So there's there's also the whole like, I'm going to have to explain a lot of things to a lot of people, I think. And also the ta- and other people in the table could explain it, but that can also get. <laughs> yeah, the actual, I just find like TLDR is just too much has always been such a thing with most people playing role-playing games yeah and i think that's okay like i think that's a thing to live like i I have to accept like it's not yeah something that i've never tried to do is to have like a reading order of the c20 core book i've done it with mage Mm -hmm. and i think it helped for the players i had who had never played well world of darkness let alone mage before Mm -hmm. but um even that, you know, I said, read this chapter, then this chapter, then this part, then this part, you know, to kind of guide them mm-hmm. towards the most efficient way to build a character. And it was still like 200 pages. <laughs> so. For Changeling, what I've done, what I do is I show them the like the core kith write up mm-hmm. in whichever core book we're talking about and like flipping through and I'm like maybe giving a brief summary. Maybe they're flipping through and getting a brief summary. And that's about it in terms of I make sure everybody's read. And then they decide their kith, and I'm like, okay, read the kith right up for your kith. Like, if they want to, sometimes they'll read way more than that. That's great. But that's kind of where I go to, the level I go to for reading. Yeah. I also find if somebody's, if I'm getting someone to play Changeling, I mean, they could be a Changeling fan, and that happens, certainly. At which point, it's a whole other different thing. It's it's the whole setting expectations, a whole other thing we can get into later, I think. But most people I'm, I've introduced to Changeling who play Changeling. So expecting someone to buy a core book <laughs> or read on their own a core book because uh i don't know about you but i've learned not to lend out my role-playing books um, oh i don't think i ever have lost a few role-playing books and then i've stopped lending it to anybody yeah so it's there's not a lot of time like what, what are they gonna do come over to my house and sit for two hours <laughs> reading a book like I, I do think all of this should take place before the session zero but that being said if people don't have access to the materials and you do want to, you do have to introduce them. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could call it a session negative one, but I yeah. think that's equally valid as a, as a strategy. Yeah. And there's different ways of, that people join your game. Yeah. And I might be spending four hours talking about the chronic, like the, the upcoming chronicle before sessions here with one player in the chronicle and like five minutes with another player. Mm-hmm. PDFs have made things dramatically easier too. So mm-hmm. I still find PDFs hard to read, but that's another. Story. Yeah, well, me too, but in a pinch. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing that I think is really important to set before session zero is just anything that you're forbidding, because as we've discussed before, C20 is such a kitchen sink book. And if people turn up and they're like, all right, I've decided that I'm going to play a Hochi, the wood elemental noble Xian in this game. It's like, uh... Uh, okay, that's getting into session zero now. I would say 
you can have ideas and might what you might want to do. Yeah, but yeah, that's, don't yeah. <laughs> make any decisions before session zero on what you're going to play. I think it's fair though to tell the players in advance, just so you know, I'm not going to be allowing this, this or that. <laughs> so they don't, yes. you know, latch onto that idea. Even if they come to the session zero and all they know is, I want to play this kith. If you tell them, well, sorry, I'm not allowing that kith. Yeah, what I've what I've said is like core kiths are fine, although. As much as you love Selkies, mm. it, I think Selkies are cool. I run a game, and I usually run games in the city I'm living in, and I've never lived in a city on the sh- ocean, so that gets tricky. Um, I'm sure they swim up the St. Lawrence River now and then. Yeah, but I'm up in the Ottawa River. It's like, that's kind of, it's an hour away by car from the St. Lawrence where I live. It's like Maybe they have Wayfair. Maybe. Unless there was like Otter Selkie. We'd have to call it something else then, I think. Otter, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually fairly restrictive in the kits that I allow for a number of reasons. Part of it is I sometimes feel uncomfortable kind of building stories around kits that come from cultures that I have no experience of. Mm. And then part of it is just that there's also the mechanical reasons in some cases, like when the book says X is severed from the dreaming. And as much as I might homebrew that, that's like extra labor for the player to figure out, you know? Mm -hmm. But then more importantly, narrative reasons, I think that the different sort of groups of Fae, their concerns and their interests and their societies and the way they kind of engage with all things imaginative, it doesn't necessarily align easily with the Kithane around whom the majority of the game is built. So like, yeah, yeah, you can have an anime, but if the goal of the the motley is like we have to stop duke so-and-so from assassinating baron whomever why does the kubera whose home is about to be cut down care about that yeah do we want to get into the structure of the player character group oh circle motley whatever you want to call it i'm easy because that's that's something i'll have an idea of before session zero Mm. it's like why do i want to run this changeling game yeah, uh, yeah, or it'll be my default is, and this would exclude an anime among <laughs> other groups. Uh, you are all family, mm. mortal family. I've done that before with Changeling, and I find it. Or I might do a Changeling Mage crossover, or doing other crossover. All the World of Darkness main people can have mortal families, right? Yeah. So I find that it works as a if I don't have some other linchpin for why this group of people is why this group of Fae is together. I'll go with mortal family as my default. Yeah. I know you've mentioned that before, and I, I do think that's a good hook. Because mm-hmm. it could mean, like I had a Thalane PC at one point in that group, and it was like, well, it actually worked mm-hmm. the ogre. It was a childling under second ed. And like, yeah, he's like in school when he's an ogre, and he cares about his family. Yeah. That, that definitely fits them. And you can't just kind of throw him aside. <laughs> yeah. He might be a problem for you, but he's not going to, you know, turn on you necessarily. Like he's, you're his family. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, especially for new players, I think that it can sometimes be difficult to kind of build a story that equally accommodates all the disparate types of Fae. And yes. so often, particularly with new players, I, I don't feel any qualms about saying everyone just stick with this stuff. I also don't feel qualms about, banning certain merits and flaws or like oh yeah for power considerations well like i if i was running c20 i have not come up with house rules that make an anime really playable in c20 so i wouldn't nunahi like 
I may have players that legitimately want to play the Nunahi because I don't know, maybe it represents their culture. So I'm not going to say no to that, but yeah, no, that's if a player approaches with a strong reason for wanting to play a particular type of kith, mm-hmm. I, I can work with that. But as a yeah. default, I, I do gravitate towards what I feel like I yeah. have the most. Well, yeah, I'll have if somebody doesn't know Changeling. Yeah, I'll be like, OK, read the core kith. I, I'll be there's other things there. There's like over 100 kiths. Don't worry too much about it. if they really can't find anything they like among the core kiths, too. There's something. Not right, because th- mm-hmm. there's pretty wide breadth of character concepts. It definitely helps if you have players who are familiar with folklore in general, too. Even among that, that's not enough for making a group work. Like, if you're not doing mm-hmm. something where there's other strong ties, like if you were trying to make, like, okay, these are Kithane that all know each other and have formed an Oath Circle or Motley or something, yeah. like, well, if you have your Seely Baron She and your unseely red cap who's got shadow court ties like i don't think that's gonna work yeah and you have to changeling isn't the only game that has this problem but changeling's got a pretty big one where if you just sort of pick at random even just the core kiths and like the legacies and courts and all the things that look like oh that's straightforward to take yeah you could take title just like you could take allies right that can really derail a game. And there's other stuff like one player characters were super rich and another player characters like based around being in poverty. Yeah. How does that make sense? The bigger issue that I find with that usually is that the player with resources five just thinks that money is the solution to all problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, why can't we just buy our way in? I haven't had that particular problem because really, but <laughs> no, I haven't. You're very lucky because like, I mean, resources five only goes so far for one thing. But what I find is if another player character, what I have found is one person takes like resources four or five or something, and another player character takes no resources and like maybe some flaws reflecting that they live on the street or something. And like they want to have that as part of their character concept. I'm like, this just, but you two are supposed to be like close enough that you'd, it's like, it's trivial for one player character to fix the problems of another player character. It's not just resources. It could be. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's just the most obvious one. And this is why getting into session zero why i you might come in with ideas for concepts i don't want anyone doing character creation before session zero no 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 i'm not i'm not suggesting that people like come in with a sheet filled out i just think it's helpful for players to have a general idea of the type of character they want to play and depending on their experience and the other games that they've played they might come in saying i want to be the healer or i want to be the trickster or whatever mm-hmm. and that i think is fine i think it's i think they can get to the point of saying i want to play a she who's a rich kid but is intrigued by the shadow court or i want to play a boggin grump who owns a coffee shop but is haunted yep. by ghosts you know that level of detail at least demonstrates now, I don't want to say familiarity with the game, but that they've thought enough about the role that they're going to fill within the game. Mm-hmm. See, I, that's too much for what I'd want for session zero. Well, nothing either, though. That's the I, ideally I would like yeah. to come in because what if they show up to the session zero and they end up hating it? <laughs> well, that's definitely happened because yeah. I mean they can play the for session one and they hate it for whatever that's reason. True. My goal with the game is to have nobody drop out before it starts. Mm-hmm. Ideally scheduling always screws that too but um anyway session zero proper (laughs) yeah session zero proper so 
one thing is if you can't get everyone in your session zero, and this is a hard lesson for me, if not everyone can show up to your session zero, they're not going to show up to session one, two, or three altogether either. Yeah. You should try to set your session zero when you're going to be, if you're running the game on whatever kind of schedule, have that be the first game on that schedule. Mm -hmm. And if people can't make it, like... Red flag. <laughs> yeah, not even just red flag. Like maybe you need to rejigger who's going to play in your game. Yeah. And again, that's ideally sorted out before the session zero. But yeah, sometimes yes. life gets in the way. But if you're trying to schedule a session zero, just nobody can agree on a time. These people can't all play in the same game. That being said, I do try to design games that are accommodating of people dropping in and out because yeah. I do get... <laughs> Confession. Well, life happens. Yeah, life happens. But I do get a little bit frustrated sometimes when I'm in a game. And if one person, maybe not even that they're going to not show up, but that they might just be late. And it's like, all right, I guess we're not gaming tonight, everyone. Especially if it's a game that meets once every two weeks or something. And then it's like suddenly yeah. you go a month without. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. That's actually going back to something before the game, before session zero, session negative one or whatever, is... There's certain things I need, and I've learned I need. Like, I need you to agree that you'll tell me before the game yes. starts that you're not going to play in the game. Yes, exactly. And I'm going to be very upset if you don't. Like, <laughs> I mean, okay, if you're like, yeah, I don't know, you got in a car crash or something, right? But like... Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why I try to... I tend to design Chronicles, which are somewhat episodic and or kind of have multiple threads running at once so that it is easy yeah. to kind of bounce, you know, to, to kind of structure an individual session around who's actually present. It is also, mm -hmm. if you're playing with experienced players and depending on the format. So nowadays, I don't know about listeners, but pretty much all the games I'm in take place over Discord <laughs> and have mm -hmm. done for the past few years. So one of the advantages of that is if you have a Discord server for your game, I like to set up channels that are kind of in-character channels where we can kind of do play-by-post between sessions just for like if a player wants to do some kind of independent character development or if they miss a session but they want to feel like they can catch up a little bit. It's an opportunity to keep them in the loop and also tempt them with like, yeah, I'll throw you an extra XP or something. There's alternative techniques that can be helpful. Yeah, I've run precisely one game over Discord. It wasn't Changeling, and it fizzled out because people stopped showing up. But And that happens too. I mean, that yeah. I won't say all my games have been a resounding success. <laughs> yeah, I just have less experience on the Discord front of gaming. And I think for me personally, a lot of what I enjoy about role-playing games is playing it needs to be playing in person. Oh, it's certainly my preference, but... I also play with people who are scattered all over and yeah. mobile, myself included. So, yeah, some people like I'm. I'm pretty leaning away from online just because a few reasons, but it's I still will do it. But yeah. it, the reason that I'm running the game, like forty percent of it, comes from in-person social interactions. So. For sure, but I mean, I. I myself am an introvert, and I don't. I yeah. I also try to accommodate their changeling fans who want to play games and have absolutely nobody to to run a game with. Oh no, I'll, I'm not saying I would never run an online game, and maybe I will run an online changeling game. But it also helps that I I really came up in changeling on the forums back in the day, so I'm very used to that kind of style. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, um, I wanted to bring up another piece. 
I think you should, in session zero, make it very clear what kind of narrative you want to tell and what kind of moods and themes you're going for, which is two different pieces of the equation. So moods and themes, I mean, lest we forget this is the world of darkness, you kind of have to decide how much you want to lean into the bleakness of it. Or you could go into a bombastic, fantastic thing. You could go Mm -hmm. into mysterious or magical realist urban fantasy stuff. But trying to nail that down, whether it's tragedy or comedy or romance, what do you want the characters to focus on? I think that the list of conflicts in the storytelling chapters of the core books are actually quite helpful, but not enough people really pay attention to them. So when it says like Kithane versus Kithane, Kithane versus Thalane, Fae versus Mortal, Autumn versus Glamour, you know, that's a really useful thing for the storyteller to nail down privately and then share it with the players. That will then inform the actual type of story beats that you can hit. So like, a game of political intrigue is going to look very different if it takes place in a grim, dark world of darkness kind of thing, or if it takes place in high fantasy dreaming center world, similarly with epic adventure or heist game or, you know, any of that stuff. Yeah. I think even more basic than that is to say and come up with explicitly how the game will be structured. Like, is this how much is storyteller driven what are the expectations of the players in terms Mm. of coming up with things in terms of setting scenes like there's a really wide variety there's kind of a default for changeling but i don't think it has to be the only way to do it if that's the way you want to do it great but there's like a really it's not even a spectrum there's a huge range of ways of doing this from you know very player driven almost gmless <laughs> to extremely step by step <laughs> yeah step by step railroad like this yeah. you could have written down this everything every scene that's going to happen you could have written down like at the beginning before you started the chronicle like yeah. railroads and sandboxes yeah and there's and, and that's that's an oversimplification too but i think you i think you can talk about it at session 0 but maybe beforehand a bit of it like everyone should be on the same page for what this is. The, this yeah. storyteller, I think it's fun. This is the kind of thing where it's like the storyteller is like, this is the kind of game I want to run. Great. But you need to cl- clarify. Everybody needs to know that's the type of game you're going to run. I always tell my players I like sandboxes with signposts. So I have particular beats that I want to hit, but I don't really care how long it takes yeah. to get there or what path the players take. And they might not hit all of them, but I, I also tend to over plan. So like, you know, I, I work it out yeah. just in case they do. That That is, it's true. You do kind of need to nail that down because if you're one style of gaming and your players are a totally different one, people are going to drop out. <laughs> or you'll have multiple conflicts at the table. Yeah. That are just Not even like arguing, just confusion. Yeah. And people are going to feel left out and people are going to feel other people are going to be dominating the sessions. Yeah. Like for my personal preference is a bit different than yours, although it's I can't tell which is more on the spectrum of sandbox to railroad of I like like the players create their characters. They come up with like potentially ideas of NPCs associated with their characters. And I kind of like paint in NPCs I think would be interesting and also bringing like filling in stuff they would have come up with depending. And the NPCs have their own goals and motivations. The players have theirs player characters have theirs and it just 
that's what plays out. I don't think in terms of story beats, I think in terms of goals and what happens in the background and happens in the foreground and things like that. Well, I try to make room for that too, but fundamentally yeah. I do want to have at least a set of wheels on the plot that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think of when I'm running a game as a plot's a thing that you happens after the fact to describe what happened well, for my games. All right. I don't think they're entirely different, but that's two of the many ways of running Changeling. That might be frankly more connected with LARP. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's my sense is that LARPers tend to be a lot more freeform and wanting to drive their own stories, whereas most of the players yeah. that I've worked with are, are kind of like waiting to find out. So what are we supposed to do next? And most games I've run have had LARPers playing in it, even tabletop. At least some of the players are talking to LARPers. So. Yeah. Relatedly, because this is Changeling we're talking about, it's also important to nail down how glamour poor or glamour rich the world is that you want to yes. operate in. And, and also, should the players expect to go into the dreaming a lot or a little? Because that'll shape mm-hmm. not only not only their choices in terms of the characters they make, but also your own in terms of the story that you help unfold. And I think related to that should be, there's how banal things are, but more than that, how solvable are mundane problems? Like if they are facing with mundane issues, like can you fix it with your arts and realms? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be more the glamour <laughs> side is the glamour side and the mundane side is more like you solve mundane problems with mundane solutions and glamorous problems with glamorous solutions like if nothing else it'll give them a hint as to where to dump their freebs yeah but i think that's another thing to bring in like because there's a lot of little tweaks you can make in the background with system and just what the npcs are like and all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. where it can really change how effective you know oh i'm gonna solve this with my magic right can be or i'm gonna solve this by getting another change like to solve it with their magic or and i think that's part of why i like the episodic structure as well as having a well-rounded uh group a well-rounded motley because you can kind of go it's like okay today the problems will have to be solved by magic luckily your one character here has oodles of magic to work with so Mm -hmm. you can kind of give each player a chance to to be the hero yep but I think I think it comes down to like people should have the, a shared sense of what's going to be mm-hmm. on that, along that front, just like glamour rich, glamour poor, and things like that. Following that, it's also important, and this is a question that I always ask when I'm about to join a game: is how much combat can they expect? Because mm. I feel like the storyteller system it's interesting because there is that physical, social, mental trio. I like to think of it as um, punching puzzles and politics. Those are like the three mm-hmm. styles. You know, how much of each of those will the game involve but combat in particular maybe because fight your way out is always available as a last resort combat gets the lion's share of like distinctive systems Mm -hmm. and the greatest threat to the characters because you could have your character die so i do feel i mean mean, you say that it changed like the social could also be pretty but yeah well chances are nobody is going to damage you with appearance no but you could be getting a lot of banality triggers going on fair yeah Nevertheless, I do think combat is, there's a lot structured around combat. I think also with orthogonal, orthogonal to that, especially if you're bringing in players who aren't, I mean, there's sort of a default white wolf approach to things. And mm-hmm. it's, you can have default D&D approach to things, and you can have default story <laughs> approach to things. Like, a lot of players I've had don't think of the game in terms of problems to solve at all. Right. So... That's not even so much from LARP. That's more from yeah, story gamey stuff. But 
I don't know if this happens specifically change. Like I had like issues where, okay, your character is too much of a mess and to work in this game. <laughs> I've had that in a few different games, but like, it's just some of these characters want to be solving problems and you're just the solution to problems would be to get rid of you like that. <laughs> yeah. I had an experience that was really frustrating where I was in a vampire one shot and, and granted it was a one shot. So the stakes were very low. Mm-hmm. Well, I won't get into all of the details. Regardless, I ended up in combat with two other players at this at the same time. And I was kind of annoyed because they were kind of of the opinion like, it's vampire. Of course there's going to be PvP. And it just That's another thing to discuss. Yeah. Like how will social PvP play? Yeah. Like how much will player characters get into fights and stop talking to each other? Will yeah. potentially. But yeah, another thing I brought up, like I've found in general that Flaws can be way more disruptive to a game than merits. Interesting. Because, I mean, Dark Fate's a big one. Oh, it's only five points. But a usually, lot of things. I usually like, ban that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's like a red, huh, yellow flag. Like, it definitely does. All the people asking to, not like everybody asking to play have Dark Fate, I should say, shouldn't be in my game by any stretch, but like it definitely needs to be watched carefully. And it just said anybody who's like saying they want it, but like. People will not just not just to get, oh, I want to max out my seven points of flaws, but they'll be like, oh, can I take flaws for free? That's another. Like they want, I, I want 15 points of flaws. I'll, it's okay if I only get seven from it. That's not good. I'll, I'll say no to that. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, no, I don't want you to, t- it's not about the points. I don't want you to take more than seven points worth of flaws because that can get too disruptive. Do you, do you find it disruptive because it's just too much to keep track of or because it's indicative of a certain type of player? Neither. I'd say, well, maybe a little bit the latter, but it's if you're taking, I mean, it turns on the flaw, right? Some flaws don't do much, yeah. but what they're ending up doing is instead of having a flaw, they're getting spotlight time by taking more flaws. Hmm. And somebody trying to make a, I want this game to all be, all be about me. It doesn't have to be like equally across all player characters, the same focus, but it can get way too hard in the you just want this game to be about your character. That is specifically what I meant about a certain type of player. <laughs> yeah. That player can be managed, but I found that's like a lot of players I've had are like that. That's one of the most difficult things I think about introducing people to role-playing for the first time is I think it's sometimes hard for people to conceive of there being multiple protagonists, you know, mm-hmm. like they want to be the hero and it's like, well, you have to yeah. let other people also be the hero which can be difficult. Yeah. But don't don't assume that just cuz somebody's been role playing for 20 years that they won't. Oh, do of course. This. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I know plenty of veteran role players who are like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really funny to watch people botch when they have that kind of attitude. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. I mean, and there's games that encourage that. Like the most famous one is a game called Fiasco. That's the game. If you're not doing that, the game falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> Changeling this is maybe getting it. into like storyteller practice, which I do think we should talk about at some point. Yeah, it's another thing to keep in mind while people are making characters. That yeah, it has to fit. Yeah, the violence thing—that that's another one. But yeah, it doesn't mean everybody has to want the same thing. They have to want compatible things. Well, so moving away from describing the structure and feel of your game to the players and kind of guiding them along those lines when it comes to individual character creation. So you want players to come into the sessions here with like a minimum. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm kind of maybe a little bit more okay with people like, you know, if I've handed them the quick start 
and they kind of have the idea, I want to play a trickster, and they see that chicanery as a thing. I'm okay with people coming to the session saying, I might want to take this art, but like, it is a delicate <laughs> balance because you don't that, want them to build a character entirely around that. That's not so bad. It's court backgrounds, things that can, I want their character concepts to mesh. Mm. And I'll actually have, we say session zero, a lot of the time for a game like Changeling, I'll actually have two sessions like that, mm. where the first one, there's a lot of brainstorming and discussion and things like that. And then the second session will actually be more tidying up and polishing mm. everybody to get ready to play. Session zero and session 0 0.5. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> session half. Yeah. That's fair. Something that connects to what we were just talking about. When the players are actually at the point where they're putting dots on the sheet, what are the red flags to you besides too many flaws? Um, I know what mine are. <laughs> I don't have a lot. Okay. I'm okay with five dots and things. I'm okay with people playing, people who are exceptional in areas or exceptionally bad in areas. Um, there's there, there's a point where you're like, uh, you are just trying to max out your ability right. to kill yeah, things that's... and that's your entire character. That's not <laughs> good. But you can have five dots in a skill with or an attribute ability or whatever without being that. Yeah. So. I always point out to people like you will have an attribute at four. It's unavoidable because of the way the math works. You will have at least one attribute at four. So I accept that. That being said, I think I'm only comfortable with one trait being at five, except for things like when birthrights pump them up. I don't, I don't count that. But if someone puts actively chooses to put five dots into something, I'm like, all right, you can do that. But then if they do it a second time, I'm like, all right, hold on. <laughs> I'd probably put it if they put one attribute and one ability. Yeah, that's probably fine. Yeah. And even if it's, I mean, if it's dex and melee or dex and firearms, I mean, they're at least really signposting what they're expecting to have in the game and what they're wanting in the game. Uh, and that's a discussion to have, but... And it's, it's good to be clear with them if their expectations are going to be met to their satisfaction, if, or at least if yeah. you don't think they will. Yeah, but somebody taking five dots in appearance and then there's she, so it's seven dots in appearance. Like, <laughs> come on. She, she to, in my experience, have two, if you're not counting the bonus, like you're just counting like their base attributes, they either take one or they take five in appearance. And that's just how it plays out. Often. I'm slightly ashamed to admit that the last time I played a she, I did not put any dots into appearance. So yes, I had one, sometimes three. <laughs> yeah. But I felt it fit with the character because he had awakened oh, yeah. as a grump. And oh, oh no, this is also when I make a she. Not that I've, I think I've played a she as a player character, but it's a pretty common thing there. But yeah, but it, it, it is the first and best opportunity for you to see what the character's aspirations are, those dots on the sheet. Yeah. And it's good if they can articulate them. The other reason I don't want people to like dump things into, you know, just a couple stats is because it leaves them very little room to grow as characters because chances are if they mm -hmm. take dex five malay five firearms five stamina five they've decided yeah. they're going to be a murder hobo and then it's like okay so what are you going to use your xp on you've already used all your freebies for dragon's ire what next you know yeah well i'm also thinking you're going to be disappointed with the cheat system and changeling if that's what you do. well they're also going to be disappointed when i run the game because i don't run games like that yeah. but no i don't either like I've had it where, maybe not in Changeling, but I've had it in like other games where 
one player character is just extremely good at combat and no one else is. Mm-hmm. And then if combat comes up, it's like, well, that player character is going to now solve the problem quickly and then we'll move on to not having combat again. That's okay. But yeah, it, it does need to be a, a flag, definitely. Yeah. Of a thing to discuss. Red for me. <laughs> yeah. I find the biggest is backgrounds. Mm. So specifically, it's not a bad thing to take any of these, but we need to always talk about it as a group and how it fits into the group dynamics and what it means for your character's concept of holdings, resources, title. Those backgrounds are shaping the whole chronicle in ways that other backgrounds don't. You could probably throw retinue on there too and maybe treasure. Uh, Treasure. Depending, depending on the treasure. Yeah, I've never had anybody take a level five treasure that disrupts things, but I guess it's possible. Chimerical companion, I mean... Mm. But I, f- I find it's really, the, like, Holdings is a huge, probably the biggest one. Holdings and Title. Yeah. Title's one of those things where, okay, is one of you playing an errant knight of she or other kith that's in the group? Okay, that's one thing. If you're going to take Title that isn't two, that's now relevant to the group. Yeah. We need to talk about it. And Holdings also has a huge impact. And, and that's one of those that you can actually do as a pooled. It definitely works well with pooled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pooled, that's fine. But if somebody's going to take like even a one dot holdings, I'm like, okay, you're going to have a free hold. What does this mean for the other player characters? We need to talk about that in session zero. That she I played with the low appearance also did have holdings one, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not a it's not a problem. But we need to talk about it now. Like, yeah. what are the expectations? Are people going to be crashing on your couch all the like, crashing from your bail fire frequently, or like is this like you have this off to the side? And nobody even knows about it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's because at a certain point they move from being aspirations that the character is is highlighting to you and they and they turn into things that bend the entire game around them they have gravity you know yeah i think fundamentally it's not only good but encouraged to hold players feet to the fire with some of the choices that they make because Mm -hmm. ultimately those choices have to be defensible from the terms of the character so if you say oh i'm taking malay five because i want to have a murder hobo that's that's a player decision. Why would your character have melee five? And sometimes there are combinations which, hilarious as that as they might be, you know, if you have a puka with naming five, there are so many great possibilities with that. But you better have a really good reason why that character has naming five. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Would you say the same about Wayfair five? I think any art at five kind of demands justification. I think any trait at five, with a few exceptions, demands justification. Yeah, I find justification. That's not how I approach it because well, I mean, you're story. Like, anything that could come in with your you went through your chrysalis and now you have this thing. I mean, that's pretty easy to justify that. Yeah, but it doesn't make for a compelling story to me, at least, for a character to say, "Oh, I just have this because I woke up no. with it." There needs to be more to it than that. Yeah, I, I'm cool with that. Like with not requiring that. But what what I think is important is what is the impact this going to have on the game? Sure. And what I mean specifically is like. Naming and possibly contracts. I haven't had this come up with contracts, but it could. I don't think I've ever had a player character take contracts before. But I mean, there are things at five, like... Metamorphosis. Pyretics at five mm-hmm. is actually mm-hmm. kind of game-changing. Same as Spring Five. I think most things at five are pretty game-changing. But Yeah. Well, I found Wayfair Five not as game-changing as... It's, it's the other levels of Wayfair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Wayfair Five is handy, but it, it, Wayfair Four is probably the least... <laughs> Actually, do you know the only thing that I don't care at all about whatever rating people put in them is realms. 
Yeah. Well, especially at C20 where you just. Yeah. I usually give people Fay one for free because I'm just like, yeah, yeah. What, that makes sense. So, mm. but this also connects vaguely. Another thing I wanted to ask, do you actually run preludes for the players in your game? No. Never? No. If I'm running, I, I've tried it. Mm-hmm. I, so I can't say never because I've done it, but <laughs> I also avoid preludes and I avoid downtime. Like in terms of. Okay. And by downtime, I mean, it depends what you mean by downtime. I want to have play happen at the table with everybody okay. there. Well, preludes, um, though, I I mean, I've seen them done a couple different ways, and I've done them a couple different ways. Even if you don't run them, I think the questions that are associated with them are tremendously oh, helpful. Yes. They, oh, that part I do, yes. Yeah, but also I think it is kind of engaging at a session zero or maybe a session one for you run a five or 10 minute scene, just like a single short scene with each character that everyone else gets to see. It's not for everybody, but it definitely creates a a mood to the table that I like, at least. I find it difficult, both as a player and storyteller, to do a prelude as well. Okay. Um, if it's just one person in a scene, like one player only in a scene, when it's several sessions in, that f- works fine for me. But I find it's too much of like a, I don't know who this character is yet. So it's hard for me to run a, I try to prelude extra hard versus like a group scene with everybody. I find that a lot easier if I don't know who they are. Let me, let me amend my statement slightly because maybe I'm using the word prelude too loosely. I don't necessarily mean like, tell me the story of your chrysalis, but just like describe your character going to the supermarket or something like just... Mm a slice of life scene that gives me a feel of how they're going to be playing the character. And especially if Mm. it gives me a sense of why they've made the choices they have on their sheet. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it's invalid. I've I've never tried what you're describing there. Just curious. Something else that I like about session zero and this shout out to Scott, one of the hosts of the Opcast podcast for the game that I'm currently in. Uh, So at the initial session zero, one thing that we did as a group was after each player kind of talked about the characters that they were building, we went around and said one thing that we thought our character would like and dislike about each other character. So it kind of created mm. this web of emotional ties in, in the group. Obviously, you need you need your characters to know each other beforehand for that to work, but it adds a dynamic to it that I think is really cool. And it gives you... Yeah something to build drama on i've never done that in changeling although maybe i should i've run other games where that's actually part of character creation explicitly Mm. something like that and it does work well so yeah because it's the kind of thing which i think is being more encouraged for npcs like when you're designing a chronicle and they have i mean vampire's been doing it forever where you have like all the little character portraits and then the arrows saying how they feel about each other (laughs) so it's like Mm. that I thought there's actually something I would do very early in my session zero is discuss safety tools. Let's talk about that. (laughs) So there are a lot of safety tools out there and people can get very prescriptive about it. And people can also say they'll use a safety tool like X card and actually mean very different things. So that can, that discussion, you need to come up with what you mean by this and what you're actually doing. I like doing um, red, green, yellow. I'll say I'll like, we'll have that, uh, which is where bring it's sort of like kind of like an X card. But what I think lines and veils 
or something like it is an important one for your session zero. And the idea with lines and veils, and there's other variations along similar ideas, where a veil is something that you don't want to have take prominence in your game. So if you had violence as a veil, you would not run combat scenes. You would go, oh, we're about to get into a fight. Let's just fade to black, not actually role play out this out. And let's just say what happened. And then a line for violence, which would be a pretty big deal to have as a line. Yeah. Let's not have violence be a concept that's ever brought up in the game. And, and it should be things that like the players actually want to... They don't have to explain why, but that you might need to have them explain what they mean by this. So this is this is a thing I think is very helpful when running a role-playing game, especially a uh, on if it's going to be an ongoing chronicle, before people really dig into making the chronicle, because maybe something will... Maybe one of the themes people want to explore is a line. It's just not going to work with the person who has that line. Uh, you can do it anonymously. You can do it discussing together. I, I prefer it more. People know each other. Let's do it in a bit more informal. I actually have a strong disagreement with one piece of that. I think it should always be anonymous. Okay. I want to leave the opening for anonymous, but I don't like making it anonymous because we can't talk about it, what, it, what you mean then. So, so to clarify, I think that if you have a form with lines and veils mm-hmm. on it, or, or actually I like what you said better, I prefer red, yellow, green. Where... Well, red, yellow, green I'd use for during play instead of the X card. Oh, okay. Well, I, I've, I've filled out sheets where you actually do red, yellow, green for the list of concepts that is provided. Okay. The reason yeah. I say it, it needs to be anonymous is obviously because if someone has had a private experience that's difficult to talk about and it's a trigger yeah. for them and it's a line for them, you don't want them to have to disclose it to anyone more than they have to. Mm-hmm. But I do agree you should be clear with all players. You should say, here's what the lines and bales will be for this game. And you don't have to give any detail about you know, you're not going to say, oh, we're not we're not doing this because so-and-so has a problem with it. You know, they're welcome to bring it up if they want to, but it should never be an obligation on them. No, I, I think I definitely have the option for anonymity. What I've done is said, okay, we're going to do this first. We can have an anonymous system if somebody wants to put things through anonymously. And then all the players are like, no, I don't want to do that. So one thing that I have had a problem in the past with this is, especially people unfamiliar with the concept... It becomes triggering to do lines and veils because people start going into lots of detail about really horrible things that weren't going to be in the game anyway. Well, that's why it's good to just have a, a sheet of paper with a few descriptions on yeah. it. <laughs> but I find also, yeah, I've, I've mostly run games in person where that we'd have to arrange that ahead of time. It's usually just been like, I'm writing stuff down while we're talking at the table. Well, there are freely available sheets that mm-hmm. I know in, in games that I've been in, people have just kind of run off copies and said, okay, everybody filled this out. Take take 10 minutes, fill it out, hand it back. Yeah. And then that's that. I mean, that's, that's not really anonymous at that point, but yeah. Um, well, they just go to whatever part of the table, fill it out, hand yeah. it to you privately as a storyteller. And then... Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. What can ha- what I've had happen a few times, it becomes very uncomfortable for me, is yeah, people going through in detail and start... It'll, it'll turn into like, yeah, it's like, this is like trigger warnings becoming trigger, needing trigger warnings. Like it's, sure. it's, yeah. And that, that's a thing that, but yeah, I think, yeah, gee, that's a good idea. The, maybe this part of your session negative one before the session. And that's something else. Just I'll mention it here. I can probably include in the show notes is links to available resources of that type. Yeah. 
But now the one thing that does happen is people will write it down or say something and I really don't know what they mean exactly. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to operationalize it. But I think also I like your idea of the green, yellow, red, because the green part I think might actually help a lot because that can help. Okay, people have this on their green. That should be a theme of the game then. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> see, at I'm, least I'm hesitant now to mention examples for fear that I might, you know, set someone off who's listening to this episode. But you might have a high tolerance for insert topic here, insert element here. That doesn't necessarily mean you want the game to be about mm-hmm. it. You know. Oh, okay, maybe you misunderstood. Because I'm used to when you're doing red, little green in person, green means, oh yes, please keep going. But I like this. I think that's because it's taken from, you know, yeah. certain sexual activity community. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's how I like using that's how I've seen it used, yeah. and that's how I like using it in role play games too. On the sheets that I'm talking about in particular, it's more like I'm okay with this being in the game. I'm hesitant about this and would prefer mm-hmm. that it's like off screen, and then I'm not okay with this being even mentioned in the game. Okay. I'm a bit confused then the point of the I'm okay with this one. So that you know as a storyteller, you can include that in the narrative if you mm-hmm. want. So if it's not on there, you can't include it? Well, I mean, the lists that I'm talking about are pretty comprehensive about triggering elements. So. <laughs> oh, this is like a checkbox list. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I would not want it. I'd never want to do that. Oh, okay. I'm really feel comfortable <laughs> filling out one of those. I'd be f- cool with, like empty boxes where you fill in ah okay well that's i mean that's always there's always an option at the end for anything else that's not mentioned yeah. here no I, d- I don't want to go through a whole list of potentially triggering things I, I i want to avoid that list as possible but are you not comfortable with it because you think the list itself can be triggering it it is for me that that's an issue that i have not seen mm-hmm. or i have not heard someone bring up before but yeah. so you prefer only like the x cards in the moment in the game No, I like it ahead of time. I don't want a giant pre-made list of potential issues that you go through. I want people bringing up, like if somebody's going to bring up a trigger or a thing they don't want in the game, that's good. I want to get that. But I don't want to like explore everything that might be. Well, you don't have to explore it necessarily. Well, you do to check the boxes. I don't want a big list of them. That, well, all right. No, that's fair. I mean, from my perspective as a storyteller, I would rather know in advance if people are going to have a problem with certain things Mm -hmm. in the past few years. I've seen the majority of storytellers kind of gravitate in that direction. Yeah. I've, I've seen storytellers move away from that actually like 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, safety tools were a huge thing. And I'm finding it's a lot of people who are really leaning heavily on them have not gotten rid of them, but not something they're not strong enough to put too much weight on them. I don't think that they need to define the game, though. I mean, yeah. it would be helpful if I have one right in front of me. The The items that I've seen on there are all things which, for the most part, I'll either put green or yellow. There's very few things that are hard mm-hmm. lines for me. And even the things that are hard lines, it's more often to do with, I just don't want to role play that situation. It's not something that's yeah. personally triggering for me. Yeah. But, for example, I had a player who was triggered by something in the game and it was and we talked about it after it wasn't something that i expected to be a trigger it wasn't something that they expected oh to be yeah a trigger, but it was you know and and we hadn't used a list in advance because these are all people that i had known for many years so i think it can surprise you sometimes when something like that comes out and i would rather 
not have that situation come up in the middle of a session if I can avoid it. I mean, I've also had a lot of things where they played in a game with the way this would be defined on a sheet and mm. it was fine. And then they play in another game where it comes up and it was not fine. Yeah. It's never going to be an exact science. Yeah. And don't, don't, that's what I mean is don't treat it like an exact science. Like be careful. Like, oh, sure. yeah. Take it for what it is, is important. Absolutely. Uh, I can, I can agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> which doesn't mean bring up the stuff that you put as a line, but definitely not that, but like, it can help and it can help make things you don't feel like you can help um, take more risks, I guess, at the table, but don't lean too heavily on it. Sorry. And and it's also, there's a lot of things on this that you couldn't take from like a sexual list. Like it's, Oh yeah. Like I think one thing I was putting on a line for two years and I think I'm okay with now and I'd put it more like yellow instead of red would be COVID and pandemics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that that was coming up a lot and people were like yep no and now i think i might be okay with that but back when like i was role playing online because that was the only option yeah that yeah and to be clear i feel like a lot of the lists i've seen are not really presented in the language of is this going to trigger you but just like do you care if this is in the game yes kind mm-hmm. of or not really no mhm that's more yeah. the the tone that I've seen. Yeah, maybe I'd have to to say to before noping out, I'd have to see one of them. But it'll be in the show notes, probably. Yeah, I think we've we've talked a lot about from the storyteller side, and I don't actually have a lot from the player side, but I do want to actually address one thing that's kind of connected to that. I think that a player coming to the session zero needs to have a certain level of self-awareness about their own style as well as their own ignorance so like be honest with yourself about what type of player you are and be willing to have a conversation but also be willing to be convinced otherwise because if you come to a session zero and you say i'm playing the tank and that's it no matter what that's a hard thing to wrangle both for the storyteller and for other players what if five people all want to be the tank then that's that's going to be a really one track kind of game So there's that. And then also like ask questions, you know, like be willing to push out your own boundaries a little bit. Maybe you have played a tank 10 times in a row and that's what you're used to. And that's your point of reference. But Changeling, I think, is a game that's more on the end of the spectrum where it's okay to take risks with the type of character you are and the type of story that you tell with your character. But you can only do that if you're willing to like ask questions about your own backstory and engage with the storyteller and the other players about how to fit them into the the kind of story that you're all building together. Yeah. And I think also like as a player, there's a lot of different ways that the storyteller that is generally going to be the storyteller, especially for something like change, like it's going to be structuring Mm -hmm. the session zero. But if you come out of session zero, having no idea the answer to any of these questions we brought up, yeah (laughs) that's a pro that's a that's a red flag for you and maybe these are like things we brought up like the fidelity and like how the glamour of expenditure of the world and what the focus will be and all all these things you should have a sense of that by the end of sessions here if you don't maybe ask about it at the table (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. because i mean storytellers i mean you might have a great time with the storyteller like i've run great chronicles before i ever thought to do a session zero like it's not Mm -hmm. same so it's not saying, oh, they never brought it up, uh, don't play the game, but 
you should probably ask it. That's a good time to bring it up. Like things, these kind of questions, it's okay. It's good to ask. And it's okay not to get to the bottom of deep theory. Like you should have yeah. a sense of glamour and banality. You don't have to know exactly everything about glamour and banality because yeah. I don't think anybody does. No, you should have a sense of, oh, I'm going to have uh, easily have access to 50 points of dross every game session more dr- <laughs> yeah. versus dross doesn't happen and good luck getting three points of glamour on your character sheet. Like that's a big difference or how often do you see us checking for banality? You know, things like that. Yeah. Or are you going to be structuring a big product? Like how's, how are you structuring the game? Yeah. I think that's pretty much all that I had about session zero though. I mean, that's hit most of the points that I I wanted to touch on. Mm -hmm. And also please don't as a player, I don't know, like it depends on the group, but for me, don't give me a 10 page backstory before you've even. Oh, I like 10 page backstory, <laughs> but your mind may vary. It's true. <laughs> this is really bad. I usually tell players you can start with one XP for each page of backstory. <laughs> you can. Oh, my but I goodness. cap it. I do cap it. You know, yeah. no more than five pages. Yeah. I, I run a game once where I think this was, I remember this was Changeling or Mage. It was a long time ago. One of the player characters gave me like 15 pages of backstory mm-hmm. and the other player character said like oh can i just fill in the dots after a few sessions in (laughs) (laughs) oh dear i always feel like for people who are daunted by the task of backstory look to the sheet i mean every merit and every flaw is a story waiting to be told for the Mm -hmm. most part there's maybe a few exceptions but and a lot of traits are stories to be told yeah and i think i think also like you could there's changeling is a lot of ways you could bring in a character if somebody really doesn't know how to fill things in and they really having trouble, you could have, maybe you newly went through your chrysalis and you're very confused by the mists and something like that would kind of make sense. Not mm-hmm. everybody doing that, but like if somebody really wants to, really is yeah. struggling. I also think it's totally fine to do your backstory after session zero. In fact, I think that's mm-hmm. probably best. Oh yeah, for sure. I also think it's okay to do your, to do put in stuff in your backstory after session seven. Oh, yeah. And yeah. for the storyteller to slip a few things in, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do you want to get to questions and comments from our listeners? Let's. So first up, Count Clockwise asks, given how up for interpretation a lot of aspects of Changeling are, like how chimerical reality works, canon history, etc., does this need to be something figured out as part of Session Zero, or is it nothing to worry about? If you have new players, I think it suffices to kind of give them the interpretation of those big ideas that is most functional for the game you plan to run mm-hmm. just so they, they comprehend it with experienced players. You can get into the weeds a little bit more, but I think everyone is going to need some starting point. And I definitely yeah. think chimerical reality is more important than canon history. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I think if somebody's playing a troll, they should have an idea of what kind of car they can sit inside, <laughs> <laughs> but and like that kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. is important because that that's a thing that the additions have been inconsistent. Can, yeah. Canon history. That really depends on the game, the Chronicle. They don't need to know who David is unless it's directly relevant. I think like if you are playing a game focused around the parliament of dreams, that's right. very different from a game set in a small town that has no yeah, 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 yeah. connection to the figure. Like, yeah. Charles Siegel asks, should someone, definitely not me or him, write something about knowledge to Terry Robinson's Ascension's Landscape for Changeling? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yes, but. 
<laughs> yeah. If I can turn myself into a storyteller publishing machine, that would be mm-hmm. number eight on my list, probably. For anyone who hasn't read it, by the way, Ascension's Landscape by a friend of the show, Terry Robinson, is a storyteller's vault supplement for Mage that handles a lot of the kind of setting and setup questions for storytellers within the context of the meta plot of Mage. So mm-hmm. against the sort of multiple backdrops that are provided for a mage metaplot. What does darkness mean in the world of darkness and things like that? Yeah. How to operationalize that. I don't think it would do any harm for Changeling, but I also think that Changeling has kind of relied less on metaplot than maybe any of the other World of Darkness games. Because like in first edition, we had the Immortalized quest, which is you can either entirely connect to it or entirely disconnect to it, and it's not going to matter. Second Mm -hmm. edition, the whole disappearance of David, again, unless you're running a highly political Parliament of Dreams game, nah. I do think the end of second edition slash C20s kind of bringing in the the Fomorians waking up and the Thalane kind of resurgent, it is kind of more present, but it doesn't have, it's not quite as overarching as something like the Ascension War, you know, Mm -hmm. especially because like you had, you know, you could have a Thalane in the party. So I don't think it's necessary. I think someone could do a supplement by that, but I do think the more valuable questions are the ones like how to navigate those thematic issues, which the storyteller's handbook already kind of covered. But yeah, I'm always in support of more storytellers vault changeling material. Oh, and I I think that would be very, it would be helpful. I think it would, it wouldn't hurt. Certainly. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know that it's necessary. Yeah. And then, Fetch had a lot of comments, which are great. <laughs> and also, I think we've addressed all of them in this yes. episode. <laughs> so, Fetch, that's a lot to read out. And it's a great idea. And if people join the Discord, and they, they can view the channel archive channel for this. I think it's good to read it. Yeah. But yeah, I think we've covered it all. <laughs> Respectively, how much politics why the group is together, how to present non-Cathane, and level of glamour. Yeah. Those are all excellent aspects to figure out, definitely. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Hey, speaking of Discord. Yeah, so yeah, you can join our Discord. www.discord.me slash ctp. You can also find our website, changelingthepodcast.com. You can subscribe to our podcast, which I think you already have, on a lot of platforms and if there's anything we've missed let me know because i've tr- i've got some pretty obscure ones so if there's Ooh. something i don't know about i want to add it to it you can email us podcast at changelingthepodcast.com you can follow us on facebook uh, changeling the podcast and uh, you can send us a toot on on mastodon at changelingpod at dice.camp and all of these links will be in the show notes yeah so once again i'm josh and I continue to remain the artist formerly known as Buga. And, uh... Oh, I have a math question. Yes? So you have session zero, right? And then yep. we talked about the possibility of a session negative one. Yeah. I feel like the storyteller could have their own kind of meditation on the structure of the chronicle, but it shouldn't be session negative two. It should be session I. Okay, now we're getting into time being two-dimensional, and that has some serious implications, which... I'm here for, but complex session time order. You, you can no longer say that one session comes before another. Well, you can. Anyway, yeah. 
Well, in the spirit of the multiplicity of time, I will sign off with wishing everybody an excellent day slash week slash yoga. Yeah. Now I want to figure out what chimerical time would be. Next time. After conducting a detailed battery of research within the interstices of chimerical time revealed by Kronos, we have determined that the otteries mentioned in this episode, i.e. fey who slip their otter skins on and off as a way of changing form, erased themselves from the dreaming through a disastrous misapplication of the naming art of which they were all masters. As we stated, level 5 of most arts can be game-shattering, and with naming, an adept fey sorcerer can theoretically break the fourth wall to switch some letters around. In this instance, those otter selkies changed metaplot into meatplot. This resulted in Changeling becoming a game about the ongoing struggle between Hamwer and Baconality, until the fateful force of Dawn removed them from reality and revised their change. Legend says that they will return one day to avenge their unjust punishment, and once again frolic in the streams and pools of the world, cracking open their enemies' heads on their bellies. In the meantime, we'll continue to produce Changeling the Dreaming content to distract you from that impending horror, and we'd be grateful for your support to continue doing so. You can leave us a review on the podcast listening platform of your choice, join our Discord community, or contribute to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Folks who have already done the last of these get a shout-out at the end of each episode and include Derek, Dorchados, Oreo, Raz Kabuz, Sanchigger, Sija, and Terry Robinson. When the time comes, such honored folks will be last against the wall for our mustelid overlords. But for now, enjoy a happy equinox from us, and until next time, keep on dreaming.